is Romans 5, 12 through 21. I'll be reading out of the NIV, and up there is the New Revised Standard Version. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of the righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for gathering us in your spirit. And we ask that your word will be planted by your spirit in our hearts. May it germinate and grow and bear fruit in our lives and for the world. To your glory, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, there's two ways that uh, sermon illustrations tend to come to me. One is I work really hard on these through the week and try to craft something. And then other times they just flop on top of me. They just are there. Oh, this is, this is perfect. And then occasionally I get both. I work hard on one and then another one flops. And I have to decide which and I'm going to go with the one that flopped on me yesterday. Um, uh, yesterday, Miles had a soccer game, and about three minutes before, I was asked to referee. Uh, they asked me to rep- referee um, not because I know how to ref, because I don't, or because I remember the rules from when I played 30 years ago, because I don't. Um, it's because they didn't have anybody. That, that was the reason. Um, the experience uh, didn't go well. I'm, I'm not the best ref. It is not my calling in life. Uh, the best thing that happened 
actually had nothing to do really with me refing except for this. As I refed, I got to have a front row seat. I was literally on the field with a whole bunch of kids who were playing the game of soccer. Coaches were barking. Parents were doing what parents do, and you can imagine what that is. I was blowing my whistle, or forgetting to. But these kids, they were in it. They were in it. They were the ones playing the actual game. They were the ones making the mistakes. They were the ones getting exhausted. They were the ones experiencing the disappointment. They were feeling it all. They were also feeling the elation, the momentum, and the glory of playing. Not the rest of us. Them. Why? Because they said yes. So these kids are an example to all of us of the potential that a life holds that is lived in grace and also the potential to sideline ourselves, miss it completely by saying no. Our, our uh, section of the creed that we're talking about, we're, we're in a series on the Apostles' Creed and the section we're talking about this morning is two phrases that refer to Jesus. The first one is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and the second is born of the Virgin Mary. And we're just going to talk about those two along with the scripture that I read from Romans 5. I think this must be, from a lot of people, maybe most, this must be the strangest part of the creed. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, in traditions where they say this every Sunday, this is probably the part that most people mumble through because they're like the most iffy on this part. And part of the reason people are iffy on this part is because it, it sounds like mythology. It sounds sort of like a Zeus human woman kind of situation, you know, that, you know, Zeus, like the God finds a woman and then there's Hercules and is that what Jesus is? Is he, is he some sort of like half God, half human, um, somebody who is maybe like a little bit better than us, um, but uh, close enough to God where he can talk to God for us? These two phrases are not meant to say this at all, and I want to try to clarify that this morning. In fact, what they're meant to say is the complete opposite of that idea of, of mythology. It's not that he's half God and half man. They're meant to tell us that he's fully God and fully man. He's completely God because his conception is receiving of only one spirit and it's God's spirit. He receives all of his life from God the Father. And we give a name to what the Father gives. The gift, so the Father is the giver. The gift he gives we call the Holy Spirit. He receives that whole life, the Holy Spirit, his, his, his conception is not a concoction. It's not a mix. It's pure spirit of God that comes to him, all of God's life. That's why he is fully God. But he's also fully human. He's born of a woman. Her name was Mary. She lived in the hill country, Galilee. She's human, just like us. All of his cells, his bones, his organs were formed inside of her womb Jesus has a mom. He's fully human. 
One of the church fathers, his name was Origen, explained it this way. I like the way he put it. He said, he said, imagine you've got a iron and you put it in the fire and you leave it in the fire for a while. And what happens to it? it starts glowing hot, glowing red and yellow. And you pull it out. And so what is it? It's still iron, but it's suffused with the energy in the fire. And that's, that's Jesus. Jesus is both fully iron, fully human, but also completely suffused with the life of God, glowing with it. So that's what these two phrases are saying. It's not a mythology. It's fully God, fully human. That's who Jesus is. But what does this have to do with our salvation, with our life? Besides Jesus, there are two human beings mentioned in the creed, only two. Mary and Pilate. But there is one person who's not mentioned who sort of looms behind it, whose, whose omission is sort of like, um, you know, it's like, a, it's like we, we know he's missing and we don't know why. His name is Adam. When we, re- when we read something like conceived of the Holy Spirit, the thing we're supposed to think about is the moment when Adam was made. Because Adam was made from clay. Adam was made actually from red clay. His name, Adam, means red clay. And so he's made from this clay. And then what happens? God breathes into him the breath of life. Breath is another word for spirit. Steve talked about this a little while ago. So when we read conceived of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to be thinking, oh, yeah, that's similar. Something like that happened with Adam. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Now with Jesus, it's sort of happening again. Why is it happening again? It's crucial that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, not because, you know, there, there's this idea that, um, that uh, you know, by him being conceived of the Holy Spirit, it means he wasn't conceived by Joseph because Joseph would somehow genetically pass on sin. And this was a popular idea in the medieval times because they thought, they thought that um, sin was passed on through sex, as though sex were something evil or sinful. And this is not true. This is not biblical. It's not true. There's nothing sinful about sex. Sex is a gift from God. The idea here is that Jesus needed to be born of the Spirit because he needed to create an entirely new humanity. Adam was the beginning of one humanity, and that humanity was grounded in sin and death. Jesus is the beginning of a new humanity, initiated by the Spirit, And that is what Paul is talking about in Romans 5. That is a humanity defined by grace, not leading to death, but to life. Sin is not a spelling bee. It's not a spelling bee where if it it goes on long enough, eventually everybody's going to mess up on a word. You know, they're going to say J instead of G or, or something like that. And then you're out and no second chances. Sin is a lot more like a contagion. Maybe I'm thinking of viruses because I'm, you know, I got over COVID. Um, But sin is closer to that idea. Paul says we all have it because we all experience the symptoms. The symptoms are death and we all die. We all experience all kinds of death, not just physical death, but we've experienced alienation from coworkers alienation from friends, sometimes alienation from the people that we love the most, 
and sometimes alienation even from the ground, the creation itself, the land itself. We experience all these kinds of death. And Paul says, look, the reason you experience that death is because sin is in you. Sin is a part of you. And we all look at Adam and we see ourselves in Adam. We see ourselves in him. We see ourselves in his disobedience and we see ourselves in the consequences of sin. Alienation from everything, from all things. That is why we think of Adam as an ancestor. Not because he's genetically passing something on, but because he represents all of us. We seem to have inherited something from him. The resemblance of sin that leads to alienation, that leads to death. So for our salvation, we need more than a free pass. We need more than a fix. We need more for the judge to say, oh, don't worry about that word. Go on to the next word. We need a new humanity. Someone to actually replace Adam. If Jesus had been conceived by Joseph, then he would just be an exception. He would be sinless, but he would be an exception to everybody else. It wouldn't work. He would be an exception to the long history of sin and death. But by being conceived like Adam from the Holy Spirit, Jesus becomes our new Adam, our new ancestor. And we see in him the gift of life, not the curse of death. Now relationship, communion with God, not alienation and division and separation, define us, define this new humanity, a full life. So that's why Adam isn't mentioned in the creed, but looms in the background. Adam is out, Jesus is in. Sin is out, grace is in. Death out, life, relationship, communion with each other and God in. While Adam is not mentioned, as I said, we do get mentioning of some people, two. Pilate's one, we're going to talk about him next week, but also Mary. And so we need to talk about Mary for a second. The first thing that Mary tells us is that God includes us in the drama of salvation. Jesus replaced Adam, but he fulfills his promise to Eve that one day her seed would crush the head of the serpent. And so it's not just Mary who is mentioned, but all those who have said yes to God, all those who have freely obeyed and were brought into the story, the drama of God. I'm thinking of Sarah, Abraham's husband, who was caught giggling when somebody told her when she was 99 years old that she would have a child. And sure enough, she has the child and she names him Laughter or Isaac. I'm thinking of Rahab, the prostitute, who sees the God's people coming. She sees the work of God and she becomes a midwife to what God's doing with the people. I'm thinking of Hannah, who is barren at one point, and then all of a sudden she becomes pregnant. And she sees in that pregnancy more than just the f- her own fulfillment, more than just her fulfillment as a mother, but a whole political upheaval in the world with the birth of Samuel. Even Bathsheba, despite the way she is used and abused by all the men in her life, despite her reaping the sorrow 
of what other people have done to her, the sins of others, despite all the reasons that she should succumb to death, she refuses and she becomes vital to God's story. And there are so many more stories than just this. Mary points to them all when in a moment of complete vulnerability, when she knows, she knows that she has so much to lose, when she is asked to venture into a calling that leads nowhere she can imagine, like being told to leave all you know, not being told where to go, she says yes. And that yes echoes on. It echoes behind her and then it echoes forward. It echoes in the life of Jesus Christ who says yes to the Father. And then it echoes in the Father when the Father says yes to Christ in the grave and raises him up. It says yes to God's people throughout the book of Acts who keep saying yes to God and doing risky and strange things. Yes to God's people over the centuries. And we talked about them this summer. And the thing that all those people have in common that we talked about this summer is that every one of them said yes to the risky, wild, and beautiful thing that God was calling them to do. They all trusted in God's grace. They all practiced creative obedience. This is why Mary is in the creed. She is our big sister. She knows us. She shows us how to follow the new Adam, Jesus Christ, how to participate in the salvation drama God brings through Jesus in the spirit. She shows us how we can fully live. The life that we're called to, in the world's eyes, it is humiliating. It is a humiliating life, a humbling life. Those words are connected. It doesn't have any assurances that you're going to look good in the world. You try, you make mistakes, you mess up, you fumble, you fail, you kick the ball in the wrong goal. But you are definitely not on the sidelines. You're not blowing the whistle, you're not barking. You're in the game. Grace leads to life because you can't live without some pretty major mess-ups. Grace says, it's okay. Keep playing. Keep going. You are not disqualified. Nothing can disqualify you. Everyone else, the ref, the coaches, the parents, they're not actually in the game. Mary's yes put her in the game. Totally unqualified. You got to understand, this would ruin any chance she would ever have of a normal life. She's going to have a kid without being married. It's a big problem. And she said yes to it. No ordinary life. But by saying yes, what did happen? She lived a God-sized life. A God-shaped life. She lived a life of wonder, of mystery, deep joy, and blessing forever, forever and ever. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to say no, what it means to say no to the grace that's right in front of you. That's Pilate. To refuse to join in to what God is doing because it's not worth the risk, because God's grace might not seem enough for all the costs 
that it evolved in living this life. But for now, I invite you to ask yourself, where is God inviting you to live? Where is God inviting you into life to live it fully? Where does God's grace make space for you to play, to get involved, to go all in, to love fully and to live generously? Is it right in front of you and you're, and you're pausing, you're reluctant because you're worried about what people will think? Grace opens the way. Are you alone? Do you feel lonely? Are you protecting yourself from what other people might think of you? Or maybe you're disqualifying yourself from life. Maybe you're your own referee, keeping yourself out. Or maybe you're just on the sidelines telling everyone else how they're supposed to live instead of living your own life. Jesus came for our salvation. He came to do more than just to cure us. He came to do more than just to fix our sin problem. He came to bring a whole new humanity to us to bring life, which is abundant. It's full of risk. It requires courage. There will be failure. There will even be suffering. But there will also, because of grace, be friendship, meaningful work, surprise, wonder, and great joy. Sign up. Say yes. You won't regret it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, teach us your words. Put them into our heart. We pray in your son's name. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.